Hello. Hi, John. <clears throat> Hi, Merlin. How's it going? So good. So super duper super. Different day, different time. Yeah, right. It's not. Uh, it's not too early. It's not too Monday. Mm-mm. It is just what it is. I'm always ready for you. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That can't be true. I'm treating myself today to, uh, I have this new thing I'm doing uh, called the Taste of My Youth, where I go and I revisit Taste of My Youth. So right now I'm having a uh, six-ounce can of Dole pineapple orange juice. Oh. Mm. Mm. Oh, God, it's good. Mm. It's I, all from I, concentrate. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Comes in a can, so you know it's healthy. Is that something that you you actually had as a, as a youth? This, stuff? Uh, this is the my Madeleine and my tea. Is uh, in gym class in tenth grade, we had a drink dispenser, you know, like a like a pop machine, but it yeah. dispensed juice. Uh, and there was this uh, brand was called Bluebird. Bluebird orange juice, which I've never heard of anywhere else. And it was orange juice that mostly tasted like pineapple, and I always enjoyed it. (laughs) I think when you get the concentrate, you know, you get a lot of, you get a pineapple aspect to it. Well, that's the thing. What is a pineapple? Mm. It's Mm. concentrated orange. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought of it that way. Yeah, sure. You take a bunch of oranges. Well, this is what God did. Yeah. A bunch of oranges. What, was the fourth day? Third day? (laughs) And scrunched it. Scrunched it into an armadillo. <laughs> he squoze it, squoze it into the pineapple. Yeah, and then took a cactus and stuck it in the armadillo's butt. I learned so much from you every week. Yeah, well, that's the thing about science. You, you, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't uh, encounter pineapples like you used to. I think pineapples, uh, like uh, like uh, people in gorilla suits and quicksand, I think it might be a thing mostly of the 70s. Well, you know, in the 70s, I spent a lot of time in Hawaii, as we've talked about probably either many times or never. Mm. And... Um, in Hawaii in the 70s, there were pineapple fields as far as the eye could see. Pineapple fields forever. It was pineapple fields forever. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Living was easy with eyes closed. Uh, and it was like one of the great things about going to Hawaii. It was sugar cane and pineapples, this kind of this, um, I mean, they were plantations, but but it, a big part of the culture there. And all of that stuff is gone now. You go to Hawaii and there are no there's no sugar cane. There are no pineapples. Really, Is that right? like, really, because it's just so much cheaper to grow that stuff elsewhere. You know, in, no, in China, or well, I don't think they grow pineapples in they China. They will. They will. It'll get, but it'll get do, cheap enough. They found you know Dole Pineapple uh, Conglomerate Inc. Um, GBH mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, found enormous places in Central and South America, I think, and in Africa probably, where they just said, "Oh, well, we'll just." We'll grow pineapples here, and now those a lot of those fields in Hawaii are either fallow or I don't know. I don't. It's kind of weird to go there and not see that stuff. And I don't even understand why they just didn't let the pineapples grow wild. Although I don't know what wild pineapples look like. This is this is an interesting thing. Uh, it's a it's a double turns out because for a long time we we heard about and talked about peak oil and we we talked about the idea that there would be a point when you would reach more than 50% of the oil that could be gotten from the earth, and that after that point, it would become much more costly and much more expensive, which led to a lot of interesting discussions. I'm just basically paraphrasing, uh, what's his name, Kunstler? Um, but, but, but the idea that like the, the I whole... I loved his Hustler magazine. <laughs> you remember him? I always enjoyed his legal career. 
Remember Kunstler? Yeah, good old Kunstler. Good old Kunstler. With, his, with the glasses on, and then the glasses on top of his head, and then the third pair of glasses. Yeah, yeah the other glasses, and he had that cool hair. He was cool looking. Yeah, he was cool. Uh, but, you know, if you read any of that stuff, which I found very absorbing in the 2000s, um, there was the idea that so, well, setting aside slavery, so much of what happens in America in the last 150 at least years is based on incredibly cheap energy. That you know what I mean? Just the idea that that you know we could not you could not have Walmart be Walmart without ships running on you know relatively cheap fuel, and so a lot of stuff changed. Actually, I'm reading a book about Walmart, so I kind of have Walmart on the brain right now. Mm-hmm. But that's changed now. Walmart has become extremely interested in environmental sustainability, not least because it's cheaper now. And but uh, but then the fuel prices went down. So so like like what happens? I mean, is our is our economy going to get all wackadoodle? Just continue to be wackadoodle based on these kinds of prices of fuel? And like, how could you not get pineapples from Hawaii? That just seems weird. I'm not sure if there's a question here. I'm uh, mostly just yeah. I'm, I'm concerned. I think that I think that the other factors are labor is more expensive in Hawaii, and there's a lot more regulation in Hawaii because it's America, and yeah. and land is more expensive and got increasingly more expensive, and it's just you know when you're talking about a multinational corporation that's like how do we get how do we make ten million pineapples a- as cheaply as we possibly can and and if fuel prices are low and we can fill up a uh, Exxon Valdez full of pineapples, <laughs> that's my dream. <laughs> and, and you know, because it's already expensive to get pineapples from Hawaii to anywhere. Yeah. It's not that much more expensive to get them from Nicaragua or, you know, probably from Nigeria. I don't know. I, you know, I keep throwing these, uh, I'm looking, I know I'm looking right now. I honestly don't where know. they're growing pineapples, mm-hmm. but, uh, what do you need? You need water. You need hot. You can have pineapple. hot. And you need, you need ground. Costa Rica. Costa Rica, there it Philippines, is. Philippines and then Brazil. As of 2013, Costa Rica produces 2.7 million tons of pineapple a year. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of tons of pineapple. Yeah, That's it looks like it's a, it's a pretty tight of- race between the Philippines, Brazil, Costa Rica. I found uh, Hawaii, uh, I, 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 was, I was not a good match for Hawaii. I like the way that you pronounce Hawaii. 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 You know, we... Uh, we West Coasters for a long time, you know, we just like, we anglicize everything. Why? Hawaii. 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 But you, uh, you put that little extra, like Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Sylvia nice. Pajoli. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds good. So you went to Hawaii. Hawaii. And did not, uh, you didn't, you didn't bond with it. Well, here's the thing. Uh, first of all, I think you know this about me. Sometimes I have trouble relaxing. Mm-hmm. And slightly separate from that, I have I sometimes am a difficult acclimator. I don't always acclimate well or quickly. Like you seem like a kind of guy. You got a bag. You're on a plane. You go somewhere, and like you're already part of the culture. Yeah, you try. You try, but like it takes me a while to get into. I've gotten better over the years, but there was a time when it would take me like three days to, to enjoy anything that wasn't being at my house. Uh-huh. Just to shake off the like change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, Hawaii also Hawaii. Also, uh, felt very, very foreign, not least because the people of Hawaii, um, don't love people coming there. Mm. It's not, and understandably, it's not the warmest welcome. And also I, uh, didn't like the food. I, I couldn't get oh. with the food. I think you're either the kind of person, it's like Scottish food. You're either all about it or you're like, I can't believe this is food. Yeah. 
I couldn't uh, shave ice and the, the <laughs> spam. I, th- but that's right up your alley. <laughs> well, what's wonderful uh, about Hawaiian food is it really is kind of uh, like made out of the worst elements of like four different kinds of food. <laughs> Right. It's like the worst kind of Japanese food and the worst kind of Portuguese food and the worst sort of American food. And I love it. Right. A pile of rice with breaded chicken mm-hmm. with a fried egg covered in gravy. Oh, you know what? I should give it another try. Where <laughs> I was just like, this is a thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's called Loco Moco. <laughs> Dive in. And I was like, I am feeling Loco Moco. Mm hmm. But um, Hawaii doesn't feel foreign to me because we went there a lot. As, why, why were you Why were you going there a lot? Remind me. Well, because in the seventies, the forty ninth and fiftieth states had a very special relationship. Hmm. Uh, because right, Alaska entered the uh, United States in nineteen fifty nine, and Hawaii in nineteen sixty. So oh, they, they were, came in. I, th- well, I don't know. In my head, I always imagined they came in on the same uh, same bill. No, there there's a brief period where there was a where there they made flags, US flags with 49 stars. No I don't way. think it was for very long and it might Hawaii might have even been in at the within 1959 too, but I but there was a brief period where there where the US had 49 states. I don't you 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 can double check this. But but uh so, you know, by 1970, what, both both places had been U.S. states for 10 years. I mean, it was still very new. It was also very exotic. I mean, Hawaii, like, do you think about Hawaii Five-0 or the Brady Bunch? It was like, it was, it was, for my whole childhood, that was the idyllic location. Sure. My mother, my, my mother's entire life, she, all she ever, not all she wanted, but she really wanted to go on a vacation to Hawaii. It was one of those things, like, that was her dream. Yeah, sure. You get a vacation to Hawaii. Exactly right. It just just the just the term has all this all the smell of Kalitas rising up through the air. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't think they have Kalitas there. I have that. I have ulcerative Kalitas. Yeah, I know. That's that's painful. I know. It's in remission. Like I'm all right. Thank you. But, thanks for thanks for asking. But when you think about Magnum PI, that you know, that's only twenty years after Hawaii became a state. Whoa. Less than that, right? So it's still very much like New new turf. And so anyway, all, all by way of saying that uh, the uh, Alaska Airlines and Hawaiian Airlines, which were both sort of newish, uh, newish carriers that were making a play to be bigger than just regional airlines, uh, they had this like $100 ticket, $100 reciprocal ticket anchorage to Honolulu. Damn. And it was... That's crazy. And this, understand now for the youngsters, for the millenniums, millenniums don't know from travel. No. It used to be you were not going to go anywhere for less than $700 to $1,000. It used well, to be very expensive to fly. It was. And, uh, and Alaska was, you know, it was such a different animal. Um, and it was hard to know, like, what, because Alaska Airlines had these things, $100 tickets. They, were, they, were, they had a $100 ticket at one point. When I graduated from high school, Alaska Airlines gave every scene, every graduating senior in Alaska a free ticket to anywhere in Alaska. Chimney. And so you could use this ticket to go visit somewhere like Barrow or Unalakleet 
or <laughs> something where you would never otherwise go. Right. You're not going to go to Unilead for probably as part of your job. Um, but if you got a free ticket, why not go there? And so all, I left Alaska immediately after graduating and I didn't come back until after my free ticket to anywhere in Alaska had expired. But all of my friends, my high school friends all got together and flew to Kodiak, which is like, okay, that's not exactly the most exotic place to go. Kodiak. You can find Could, out where they, uh, where they make the snuff. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Or find out where they use the snuff. <laughs> And uh, they went down to Kodiak and they all rented some big hotel room, not, not nice hotel room. I mean, there, I don't think there are any nice hotel rooms in Kodiak, but like they got hotel rooms in some shitty hotel and they sat and drank beer, you know, drank like uh, Keystone. Uh, they didn't have Keystone then. It would have been, um, it would have been Stroh's. Mm. They drank Stroh's in their cold, shitty hotel room while it rained outside for three days and then they flew home. And I was like, that was a waste. And they were like, yeah, it was a waste. Like they should have gone, it could have gone anywhere, you know, Nome. How many times are you going to say in your life you went to Nome? I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe two, maybe. Yeah. Two, two plus. Probably zero, but maybe two. I don't think I'm going to say seven. But we went to Hawaii all the time uh, because of this hundred dollar ticket and it was a direct flight Anchorage to Honolulu. So it was just like, you didn't even have to go to America. Damn. And Hawaiians came to Alaska and at the time, like, uh, Waikiki still had most of the stuff on Waikiki was still like grass roof, like, like, you know, um, yeah, like little, little shacks with no windows that were bars and they had those little tiki lanterns out front, you know, the streets kind of, if you went, if you went five or six blocks off of Waikiki, you know, the streets were kind of dirt. I mean, it was very still just like, it felt like a small town there. Obviously there were, you know, the Royal Hawaiian was there. There were the, that big Hilton was there. There were some hotels along the strip, but if you got, if you got down the road a little ways, it was just, you know, it was so Hawaii and so chill and at that point, there wasn't that hostility to outsiders because it was, you know, outsiders were sort of contained. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, yeah, if you came to Hawaii, you went to here, but you didn't go. I mean, if you, we went to Maui back then and it was. Maui was nothing. But, I mean, it was all, it was all, if memory serves, it was always Honolulu and Waikiki. And then yeah. Maui was like, even into the late 70s. Maui was the hidden gem. Like, if you really want to go to Hawaii, you got to go to Maui because nobody's yeah. ruined it yet. The streets were dirt for most of, most of, you know, and Maui had little, little towns, right? You drive in and it's just a little, it's like a little town kind of carved out of the, out of the wild. And, oh my God, it felt like a, it felt like, um, it was, it was, it was uh, paradisical. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, Maui is a, constant traffic jam it's still incredible don't get me wrong but it's a traffic jam what's the one we went to we went to Kauai. Kauai, yeah which seems like there's like a few outposts around the rim and it's then a lot of land yeah and i think probably your experience of of uh native hawaiians being like less than aloha about you i'm not uh, don't get me wrong now i mean in the same position i would feel the same way well, you know, who knows, but they, but they probably now increasingly, I mean, everybody there feels encroached upon, 
even the you know even the uh, Howleys that have been there 15 years feel like they're the OG Howleys and <laughs> they don't want any new Howleys. That's just the you know that's true of everyone. <laughs> that's true of as I sit and think about it. Do I know a person that lives anywhere in the world who isn't mad about new people coming? Mm, in? Nope, nope, nope. As soon as you've I been mean, there for a couple nights, you're you're entitled <laughs> to talk about how things are changing. I'm trying to think. I read something the other day. Oh, it was an article about New Zealand saying that there were all these towns in New Zealand that were really encouraging people to move there. And I think that they are like the, you know, the old sheep farming towns, kind of like, I feel, I feel like there are towns in Nebraska and Kansas that everyone, all the young people have moved away. And I'm not entirely sure whether the residents of those towns are encouraging people to move there as much as they're just surrendering. They're just like taking deep breaths off of their oxygen machines and hoping that the Lord comes soon. But in right, but in New Zealand, I feel like a lot of I, I read this whole article about like they're in, they're actually like incentivizing people to move to these small towns just because um, because they're losing you know and and the, and 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 the pictures of these places they seem idyllic, but anybody that's read a real estate magazine knows that you can you can take a pretty good picture of a place. Sure. But yeah, now, maybe maybe that's the future. Maybe maybe uh, maybe maybe we should move to New Zealand, Merlin. Have you been to New Zealand? <clears throat> because I, no. I I have. You've been to New Zealand. <clears throat> I'm here to tell you, it took me uh, maybe 48 hours to seriously contemplate moving there. Did you did you go as a result of some sort of thing where they uh, some tech thing where they wanted <laughs> you to come talk about? Uh, their inboxes, <laughs> something like that. Did you go? Hmm? Did you take all forty-three folders there? Mm. God, I'm so tired, <laughs> so very, very tired. No, <clears throat> I went there for a, uh, a for a really cool uh, conference, and uh, I did a talk, and I cried on stage, and lots oh! of people liked it. It's kind of one of my famous talks, and um, but. I, you know, you know, it's it's so it's hard to tell until you've been somewhere two or three times. It's hard to really make any kind of a sane reckoning of what's happening there. But there were certain things about you know you, you go somewhere and you get a vibe, and the vibe there is crazy. I mean, first of all, I mean the, one of the primary things is that people there are unannoyingly, unironically friendly and kind. Unannoyingly friendly and kind. Like people are nice there, not nice in like an annoying way. Uh, they're, they, they are neighborly in some ways, but not in like a, in your face way. Hmm. Second, like, like every cup of coffee I had there at every Mm -hmm. McDonald's I had there, anything that I had there was like just about the best of that, that I ever had. It takes some fucking 20 minutes to make a cup of coffee in New Zealand. A little maddening. It's mostly, and it got me, this is when I got into espresso because they do the espresso drinks there, but like the craftsmanship of what people do there is really palpable. And, and there's a lot of, like, the same one, again, this, you know, it's a lot like Canada now that I think about it. Nice people and a lot of civic pride that's, that's not annoying. America has kind of ruined civic pride for a lot mm. of countries. But it's yeah. nice to go somewhere where, like, you're walking around Canada and everybody's got a poppy because it's Remembrance Day. That's really nice. And it's not to, like, you know, have something to put on Facebook. It's just because that's what people always do there. You go there, I, you go there and, like, you know, uh, you get a pair of shoes. It's the best pair of shoes you've ever gotten. Uh, you know, America has ruined civic pride for America. To, uh, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I used to, <laughs> I, and I still kind of try like 
to have civic pride and national. You can get pride. it sometimes. You go watch, uh, go back and watch the video of Whitney Houston singing the Star Spangled Banner at the, yeah. at the Super Bowl. That'll still give you a little bit of a goose. Yeah, I feel like, yay, America. I mean, I say that shit. I said that yesterday. It's a great experiment. We're still trying. Yay, yay America. America, it's the great we're still experiment. trying. We're still trying. <laughs> Fuck yeah, USA. But then, uh, you know, and then somebody like fucking throws a can of skull at me, and I'm, I feel like uh, <laughs> donk. I don't. It's you know, this has, what I was just saying had nothing to do with guns. For the love of Christ! Oh, I know. I know. I know. But, uh, I, yeah, with the Twitter in particular, you know, I, you, I know you're on the Facebook. I'm not on the Facebook. With Twitter, like, <clears throat> I feel so inoculated because I don't go much outside my circle. But then when I do, I'm just, yeah. I'm stunned. I mean, there's this part of my brain that likes to think the whole, like, man, men's rights, white power, anti-immigrant, that whole cluster. I like to imagine that that is still the fringe. I'm not persuaded that that is so much of the fringe as it used to be. And it's kind of everywhere and it's awful. And, and they're like, they're like some kind of science fiction creature where they just go find, they find people with a good heart and try to try to destroy them and throw, and throw a skull. They throw a skull. Yeah. I mean, there's millions of millions and millions of people that, that share that, that cloud of ideology so much so that, I'm 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 intrigued now that the liberal media, if you will, or, or rather, let me call it, um, you know, the intelligentsia, the thinkers, are the progressive thought leaders. Progressive thought leaders are trying now to write think pieces, and I know how you feel about think pieces, and you know how I feel about think pieces. Oh, I love a think piece. Boy, you know what? We couldn't have you know paper the ground with think pieces is what I say. I had an erection at work for three hours. Here's what I learned. <laughs> but there are now increasingly those think pieces. It's sort of Atlantic magazine style, long form articles saying, wait a minute. If a hundred million Americans uh, share a cosmology in which these ideas, you know, these, these, uh, these ideas are, are like some kind of foundational underpinning of a worldview. Yeah. And, I mean, where, can, where it's, it's not just something people tolerate quietly, like certain kinds of racism in the past, things like that. It's not just something that's tolerated. It's something that helps people bond together. People who formerly had seemingly nothing in common in what we thought of as civil discourse. There are people who are finding common cause with other people in a way that's kind of mind-blowing. Well, and, and I think a lot of, in a lot of those cases, right, the, what we see as the, as the like overt deal killing racism impl implied in what, in a lot of what gets said, they see as like eye rollingly unimportant small r racism that you should just get over. Because they, what they're seeing in some of that action and some of those theories, some of those philosophies, is something else. And a lot of, and the liberal side stops at the racism wall and says, whatever's on the other side of this, I'm not interested in because the, because the racism in, inherent in it, like, blocks me from going further into this idea. And the, and the hundred million people who are able to get through that wall who live on the other side of that wall are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Racism, racism, but X or Y. And there, there's so many of those, so many of those, um, 
different languages, right? Where the, the gun rights stuff, where, you know, where from the left, we have just arrived at a place where it's like, if you speak positively about guns, I, I just, I stop at that fence because that, because on the other side of that fence, I expect to hear rationalization and justification for machine gun killings of kids in schools. And the hundred million people on the other side of that fence are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gun, you know, like guns symbolize and represent this other stuff. And they just sort of, I, there's this eye rolling about the things that matter to either side of it. And that, and I, I think that there is a lot of what we do cast one another in the most exaggerated possible role that we can think as a, as an antagonist, you know, that, and I was, I, I, I am on Facebook, unfortunately, because <laughs> I, because I don't know why I mean, it's, uh, you know, for, your, for your career, it gives me as much, it gives me as much pause as, as Twitter does it's because, you know, I'm, I don't curate either thing very well. And so I just get this, I just get tons of, of evil all the time from both places. Oh. And mostly the Facebook evil is in the form of uh, really, really, really long essays about people's um, like current medical treatments. It's not really <laughs> evil. It's just like, ugh, no. And I, and I feel like looking at pic- pictures of people's dogs on Instagram is maybe the most evil. Mm. But you can't say that because now I'm going to get 50 mm-hmm. tweets from people of their dogs. Those are, those are sweet, precious fur babies. But, but I, I'm on, I, I know a lot of people from high school and this is how the conversation always starts, right? You know, a bunch of people from high school yeah, yeah. who support Donald Trump. And so I go over onto their threads and lurk. I'm not, I'm definitely not trying to argue with anybody. I'm not really even commenting. The If I do comment, it will only be a lol because I feel like lol there are, there are three laws, right? That's a, that's, a Rorsch, that's a Rorschach test. Right? Three laws, right? There's the, there's the capital L, lowercase o, lowercase l, period. That's, that's law, the sort of like grammatically correct law. <laughs> there's law, capital, all caps, L-O-L, caps, law. And then there's all lowercase law, L-O-L, law. Oh, and that's almost like ACK. Uh, well, or it can be a, all three of those can be deployed in different ways. But like, I routinely will carry on a conversation with someone else where they are just, just screeding at me, and I'll reply with throughout the conversation all three of those laws, <laughs> right? Like, lol. you deploy all your laws, yeah, and then I'm like lol, <laughs> and then at the end I'm like lol, and it's fucking amazing. Lol is I know there are a lot of people that that still have not gotten on board the lol train <laughs> ruffle, ruffle, ruffle. But, and the raffle train but, <laughs> get on the raffle train but uh raffle kind of went away didn't it raffle was so great for so long roll on the floor laughing yes absolutely literally and ruffle ruffle raffle because it sounded like the hamburglar <laughs> but now but so i he use loves hamburgers <laughs> ruffle um but so i'm lurking on these facebook threads of of high school friends and there are, and, and there's this like, there's a lot of humor in the, in this group of guys who are supporting Donald Trump guys and gals, right? I mean, it's very much like 
it's it's cultural rather than gender. There are a lot of oh yeah, a lot of women who are <clears throat> massive Trump fans, and there's a there's a ton of humor, and and a lightheartedness about the way they talk. But the humor right away is a, a style of humor that we on the other side of the cultural fence have we characterize that now as punching down, mm-hmm. right? It's humor at the expense of other people. It's and, a, and so much of the humor is like, why can't you take a joke style? Humor. But to people who feel that they're, they are aggrieved, it's anything but punching down. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, yeah. they're, they're under assault because, you know, because there are, God, only- God, God, God bless us. I wish we could again, have the days where that was considered punching down, but now there's blacks everywhere and lying, uh, lying dishonest Hillary. Well, and, you know, and also, like, there are only whatever uh, a, a billion Christians in the world. So, of course, they're a minority. Yeah, when you look at growth, that curve, what's killing Jesus. But, but, you know, the thing is that, the, that all of those people on my Facebook page would probably identify as Christian, but they're not, they're not Bible thumpers. They are— very, very different from, like, an 80s feel. Yeah, they're they're beer drinking hellraisers, right? Mm-hmm. They are Alaskans who got big trucks and they like to shoot guns and fuck the world and you know, and they're fun. They think of themselves as fun. And their support of Trump Oh yeah, they're fun and they can take a they can take a joke. Exactly. And and the thing is, you know, you and I were raised in in a culture where the why can't you take a joke style of bullying was the norm. And somehow through the course of our lives, we've arrived at a place where, hey, you know, why can't you take a joke style bullying is sort of like pretty bad way of socializing people. It is, but it was also, but if I remember correctly, especially amongst family members, as a young person, as a young man, uh, I think they meant it to be helpful. Where it was like oh. a, pull, a pull you aside thing of, hey, look, man, you gotta learn how to take a fucking joke. Yeah, sticks and stones will break your bones. Yeah, like may- maybe don't keep bugging the cab driver about racist jokes. Like fucking dial it down. Well, and so all of my Facebook pals, uh, which is to say my friends from high school, I mean, the only people online who follow me who avidly disagree with me are my <laughs> are high school friends or trolls, right? And, and, and exes. And, well, no, that my none of my ex girlfriends are on social media was that was that part of the uh, the agreement no i for many many years every uh woman i dated was <laughs> Are you grooming them you would only well, get the ones that didn't have computers it had nothing to do with me it was just like i was attracted to luddites and <laughs> and, and i don't know why right i mean every girl i ever dated had uh, the thing that attracted to me uh, uh, uh attracted me to her from across the room was something on the order of like does that girl have leaves in her hair? <laughs> she does. It's, She's got strong bones. She turns she, butter and she knows how to take a fucking joke. Yeah, why Why does she have leaves in her hair? And I would walk over and go, nice leaves. And she'd say, fuck you. And I'd be like, can't abide a can of peas. Should we take this? Uh, she to, goes to, full nail on you. Should we take this to a third location? Because I'm intrigued by you. <laughs> Tell me more about your leaves. So I can't. The only, uh, so, There are some girls uh, in my past, some ex-girlfriends, that I would just like to talk to. Because it's like, hey, it's been 15 years, just checking in. The only way I, the only even like way I have of knowing anything about their continuing existence is that some friend of a friend of hers is on Facebook and every once in a while 
there are some something will float by where it's like, oh, that's you know, I'm following her friend of a friend, and I see some picture of the back of her hair, and I'm like, I know those leaves. That's right. So somebody puts photo of Tammy. Now you're thinking about Tammy. Tammy. But but yeah, so that so what what I find over there in that world is like there is a tremendous feeling of togetherness and lightheartedness and a feeling like they're the only people left in the world who have even a reasonable outlook on life and that over here in the liberal uh like we're all a bunch of in the on the liberal side of the fence we're all a bunch of thumb suckers and concern trolls basically like what are we so bent out of shape about um well, because, and again, implicitly, I don't mean to keep making this about perceived status, but um, what do we have to be mad about, especially because we're on the ascent? We're the ones who get to redefine the idea of, you know, gender not being digital and things like yeah. that. We're yeah, the yeah. ones who are fucking everything up. Like, we're, we're not allowed to be mad. Yeah, we are the ones imposing an agenda. Yeah. And, and, the, and, the, and that informs their narrative about the things that are on their agenda are either status quo things that they would like to maintain or things that they perceive to have been traditional things which have been encroached upon that they would like to regain that turf. But they, they think about themselves as just holding the line of what normal is. And they, they see us on the other side pushing what, and you hear this term all the time, radical agenda. Yeah. But it is, you know, it is an encroaching agenda. So when I, when I, you know, when I hear that litany of descriptions of the, of people that represent now millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people, I, 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 I have to resist my own like knee jerk reaction to say like, they're all idiots. Right. And try and get inside that culture a little bit and be like, what is it like from in here? And if you think about all those people at the Trump rallies that we look like and look at and just go like, oh, my God, they're the worst. They're the worst with their, you know, the, it, the only thing missing is a baseball hat with two beer cans in it and fucking straws coming down. Mm-hmm. Um, but from within that Trump rally, they think of themselves as having a blast. Yeah. And Trump is having a blast. It's a it's a it's a monster truck show. It's a monster truck show, and we and and from the outside, we look like a bunch of just joyless, gray, like can't take a joke. Don't yeah. appreciate this is this is people whose lives have been. It's a it's a little bit like uh, the whole states' rights things kind of played out again, where mm-hmm. it's like, hey, we had all this worked out. You're gonna stay off our shit. We stay off your shit. And of course, that was never the case. And so, you know, we not only are we the aggrieved party if we ch- chose to look at it that way, but like we we have a sense of humor. We see like you sit there and like you have. I just listened to three episodes of a podcast about how horrible life will be if Donald Trump becomes president. It's a very good mm-hmm. podcast called The Trump Cast that I highly recommend. It's very mm-hmm. good and it's very opinionated and it's very well done. But like people look at that and go, oh my God. And, but, and, but what they, I think what they also see is they see how scared we are. They yeah. see how, um, how terrified and powerless so many people feel. And like that's all the more reason to start pulling for that particular pro wrestler. It's like mm-hmm. holy shit, somebody finally put a scare into John Roderick. Uh-huh. Right, shut the, that the, fucker up. The old the dog the dog can smell your fear. Yeah, right. But you know, I was on a conference call earlier today mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. a city agency, and it was a group of probably twenty people all talking into uh, a, probably eighteen of them were sitting around a conference table, and I was laying in bed talking to them with uh, 
with my podcast. I, that is all around. Place. That's a that's a terri- that's a terrific way to get a lot of stuff done. It's just get a bunch <laughs> of people in a room with a speakerphone. Yeah. And at one point, there uh, someone spoke up and said, uh, "We're you know we're looking for people to participate in this event. Uh, it's you know the event is targeted at." Um, you know, young women of color. And so, and, and as the person is describing it, she sort of says as an aside to the people in the room, like, uh, so anyone here that wants to get involved in this, um, please, you know, talk to me after the meeting. Uh, and sorry, uh, we're not really looking for any cis males. Mm-hmm. And within the context of this conversation, that was, you know, like, yeah, self-evidently, right? You're looking for people that can identify and the, and in particular people that these young women can identify with, right? That's the that that is the the element that's missing. That's why this event is even happening because these young women of color are not represented. They don't see they don't have role models the same way. And and we're trying to now build these institutions where they're where there are these mentoring relationships. But from the from within a Donald Trump rally, what is the answer to that? What from the men's rights organizations or the gamer gators? Two what's two the- two huge problems. Problem number one is you're excluding the people who are never allowed to be excluded. And right. second, you're using a term that they find unnecessary and potentially offensive. Exactly. Like, right? I mean, is it, it's, kind of, it's more than one thing. It's not just roll your eyes over this neologism. It's that, oh, my God, I can't believe you have the temerity to leave us out and then to use this faggot name for us. Well, that and, and, and the way that that would then, the way that they would, the way that argument would coalesce is, well, what would happen if I said that we were having a meeting and no women of color were. Right. And, and why, why don't we have why don't we have a men's government club? <laughs> right. Like, oh, you mean every meeting? You in, mean everything that's ever happened for 400 years for the last fucking 250 years? But but that is there is a you know, there's a libertarian logic to that. Um which is no regulation of any kind is the purest form of life. And as soon as you start instituting rules, then you're already on the way to totalitarianism. Especially if those rules are about me. Right, if those rules affect me or... or it's, you it's, know, it's, like, it's amazing how rarely people who self-identify as libertarians are fighting to have things lifted from people that aren't them. <laughs> well, yeah, right, because if there were no rules about who could go to meetings... Uh, then it would just be back to a question of neighborhood stick fights. <laughs> yeah, you know, neighborhood stick fights. Exactly right. Like, like, um, and 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 I think I think affirmative action as a notion was the moment at which some number of of um, some number of carriages on the train of progress just got unhooked because it was a leap of logic a leap of of um of like like a a kind of faith or a um an understanding an understanding that redress is even possible and that redress would be beneficial to all that is that's a that's 
a... Right, right. To not frame it as like a handout to get these people off our back, but rather something that could improve the culture and society for everybody. Yeah, that, 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 the, that the benefits of affirmative action, the benefits of equal rights for all are not a they're not a machine to to newly privilege another group over you. They're they're not taking anything away from you. It's it is an attempt to continue to perfect the notion of the American experiment. It's a it's a continuation of a of a of progress that we've made throughout time that benefits everyone because progress benefits everyone. And the the more uh, you know, we have watched wealth disseminate. And we we're, we're so we're so consumed with how wealth is concentrated right now, um, and it is it's it's like unfairly grossly concentrated in the in the one percent. But the fact is, compared to even sixty years ago, when people were still routinely starving to death around the world in in you know number in numbers that would astonish you even now to look at, you know we have. We as a as a human as a human race through technology and through democracy have turned the earth truly into a into a, a garden of plenty, and people now live life expectancy has doubled and the and education has doubled and or you know like people are are so much more educated and cared for than I'm thinking, any yeah, I'm just think about medical care for old and young people. Yeah. The, the amount of things that we know to avoid doing so we don't die as young. And that, you know, if something does happen, we have ways to treat stuff that didn't well, exist 50 years ago. The life expectancy of people in 1900 was what? 40. Mm-hmm. I think it was in yeah, 40s or fifties. Yeah. You know? And so, so with that in mind, you know, you can just make this, this case that, this combination of science and philosophy, science on the one hand, you know, improving the, our material life and, and philosophy on the other, sort of improving our like agency, our political agency, our belonging. Um, and I mean by that political philosophy and also, you know, the philosophy of the mind and that case that, you know, that case of affirmative action and that case of social justice, which in the context of like reparations just naturally offends the uh, people who aren't making a philosophical leap. It offends them because they say, well, my grandfather had it hard. My great right. no, nobody, nobody. I mean, we had a hard scrabble life. Nobody ever gave me free money. Yeah, where's my parade? Mm-hmm. Right, like my great grandparents came over from Ireland, and they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't riot or whatever. That that logic of the logic where you're only seeing reparations in in terms of like a, a cash out or or an unfair advantage being afforded to you rather than seeing it as like part of this grand experiment. How are we trying to create, what are our theories about political science where we can, where we can raise the bar for everybody. And now we're at a place where that has been so poorly explained 
that we've lost, we've lost half the country. And I, and I do put the blame on the intelligentsia, the academy, for lack of a better description, for having done such a poor job of articulating what the project is. And I think within academia, because within academia, they also perceived themselves to be a threatened minority, hmm. right? The, the, the college life and the, and the ivory tower folks saw themselves as revolutionaries too, at war against a, a, a um, you know, a majority of dummies. And so they, <laughs> you know, they used the, the same inflammatory language of resistance and, and, and war that we were, uh, we were under siege and we were going to, um, we were going to take it to the level of like, we were going to, in, in, in a lot of ways, impose these theories because if people didn't like it, they could suck it. Right. Like if you didn't like it too bad for you, this is what's right. This is what's right for you. And the, and the, and the, and trying to get people to rally, which is what we need, trying to get people to understand and, and get on board that crucial step, the Academy stopped even pretending. And so now we fit, we failed. We've utterly failed to, to get everybody to, understand what what we're trying to accomplish and and you know and and it's and a lot of that is understandable that but you and i have talked about this a lot every single group of people feels like they are the minority <clears throat> yep and they all feel like they have to defend they have to defend themselves and, they, and i think they many people really do let's put it this way there's not that many people well, one of my one of my old saws is like I don't think there's that many people in existence today that would describe themselves as stupid, <laughs> and I don't think there's actually that many Americans who would describe themselves as being uncommonly fortunate and privileged. That's mm. changing a little bit, but I think this, there's still everybody's got their reasons for why they think the way they think and do the way they do, and based on strong feelings and anecdotes and traditions and things like that. There's, I mean, that's but that's. That's always been the case. It's just we uh, we always see the log in somebody else's eye. Mm -hmm. But the the other part of this that I think is another failing of I don't know if it's the academia, but a fa failure of all people. But I'm going to have it fall hardest on the liberals is our inability. Like you described, how oh this is getting racist. Shut it down. Like this is getting like you're obviously you love guns, so you're an idiot. Shut it down. Like yeah. there's a failure of imagination, I think, on the liberal side, and a failure of empathy to understand why people are saying what they're saying in the way that they are saying it, <clears throat> and the fact that we disagree so strongly with the very top level of how they present themselves and what their rhetoric is, and choosing not to play by the same rules that we do in terms of you know online discourse or discourse in general. I think that leads to a, a very dangerous lack of empathy of not actually listening to what these people are saying. Because when you actually you read these pieces about people who go into a Donald Trump rally, for example, it's frequently ex it's extremely interesting like, where you will, this person meets people they genuinely like, like weirdos that they like inside of a Donald Trump rally. But, you know, what gets reported fairly is the one person who yells, hang the bitch. 
when Clinton is named. Now, the problem is you hear that often enough and you're going to get the feeling that that you're going to make all this. I'm not trying to defend Donald Trump, but but I am saying there's a lot more going on than just we love Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the figurehead for for a thousand different hydras. And like to think that that's all the same people with the same view and you just put this this in this big pile of dumb people who don't get it and I don't like, you're missing out on a lot of stuff. Did you read that New Yorker article? I, I think I've read all the articles. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There was the one where the guy went, and there was the, the one guy there who was into chemtrails and was handing out bottles of water. Is that the oh, one? No, I'm sorry. You were reading my blog. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, this guy from the New Yorker did one of those wonderful New Yorker pieces where he was just like, I'm just going to go to this Trump rally and see if I can make any friends. And he did, you know. Yes. like he, And he had that thing where he, where he would say, because people would say, like, we got to build a wall. And he would say, well, what about this one... Uh, situation where this gal was born or you know uh was born in america or i'm sorry was born in mexico but brought to america when she was three months old and uh and got a parking ticket and now she's being deported and almost everybody he asked was like oh well i mean and the first thing they said was is she a good person yeah right well if she's a good person then we should figure out i mean there should be exceptions certainly you know like in each case their their initial their initial argument of like build a wall, keep them out. Right, but you're but when you do that, you're problematizing something that that seems very simple, which is hey, we're here at this rally to talk about how mad we are. Like yeah. you think in a year people are going to give fuck all for Donald Trump? They're there because he represents a very a very deep anger and discontentment with what has happened in America. Some of which a lot of people might surprisingly want to agree with. A lot of stuff happened between 2008 and 2010 in this country that a lot of people are mad about on every side of every aisle. That's a lot of it. There's a lot of the losing jobs. And I'm not trying to defend any of this, but but I think I guess what I'm trying to say is that like I, I think it's it's uniquely on smart liberals to be such dinglings about trying to put people in a box that they can understand and hate at scale, instead of trying to actually listen to what somebody is saying. So in that case, what you just described is somebody goes into that rally and goes from goes from being a bunch of rapists from Mexico to here's this one girl that I can imagine my kid knowing. That changes everything because now it's not about people; it's about a person. But we rarely do the same thing with people we disagree with, and that's on us. We we are making it worse when we try to demonize, uh, demonize uh the people who are that we don't agree with where we we don't have the empathy to try to hear what's happening behind what they're saying where because it's a culture that's foreign to us it's like watching bullfighting we don't ever we're not even sure what to be mad about i well, i know what to be mad about because of the sun well, you know yeah because this is the, just you know, just to, just you know i was reading the guardian uh an article by dave eggers where oh. dave eggers goes to a donald trump rally See that, the man in front of me said? He was pointing to a jet's white trail in the sky above us. That's the Air Force. They're spraying shit in the sky. And and Edgar says, I'll call this man Jim. (laughs) Good. And he liked Jim. Jim was buying bottled water for everybody and being a mensch. Anyway, I'm sorry to dissemble and to uh, be such an unloyal, uh, you know, fellow traveler at such an important time. But fucking A, everybody. Well, yeah. I'm mad about Donald Trump, too. And, like, I think he's a dangerous man. But, like, just yelling across the aisle is not going to make this better. The, the, the more things that we do to show how we're right and they're wrong, the further we dig ourselves into a completely untenable situation. The, the, you hit on an interesting thing a second ago, which was that. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was a rare moment. That's, rare, three, that's three for me now. <laughs> 206 rare, episodes. A rare diamond in the horse shit. I don't know how the horse ate the diamond. Mm. Don't ask. Uh, somebody put a diamond in a banana, fed it to a horse. Oh, like a turducken. And then I saw it come out of the poop. Poop shoot. 
No, the idea, I mean, uh, the idea of privilege right now, whenever, whenever someone speaks about privilege, there's a, there's an aspect of recrimination and apology in it. No one talks about their own privilege, you know, with any pride, certainly on our side of the fence, right? If you say the word privilege, you are saying it now, like, I mean, you know, in terms of white privilege, you have this thing and you're sorry for it and you're trying to amend for it. You know, the, you, the, this has become a term of art for a kind of, um, for, for a, a, a form of shame at your privilege. And I, I think it gets that second, but I'm not to interrupt, but first of all, I think it's a little bit like acknowledging that air is free and we get it. Yeah. Like part of it is just acknowledging that it is actually a thing that rather than my emotions about how my I feel butt hurt about somebody calling me that, then I have to really stop and go, you know what? You're actually really fucking right. I can walk anywhere I want and I'll be fine. But the but the issue I think in our culture at large is that no one is acknowledging that they are in charge. It's it's always Every, somebody else. It's everyone's the boss's a fault. victim, right? And mm-hmm. and and I say this about about the liberals as much or more than anyone else, this, this sense of being under siege means that there's no intellectual tradition or cultural tradition that doesn't, that doesn't describe itself as under siege, including all of the rich preppy guys at the Yale club in, um, in New York city who are kind of circling around their gin and tonics and saying, you know, they're coming at us from all sides. Um, we're the last of a dying breed. So no one in America will acknowledge that they are the establishment. And in that, in everyone's failure to acknowledge that they are the establishment, no one is in charge. No one has to take responsibility. Hmm. And so right now, effectively, the liberals are the establishment. We really are. Like our candidate is going to win the presidency and our candidate has been the president for the last eight years and liberal ideas are ascendant and have been for a long time. Now we feel under assault because there are hundreds of millions of people or, uh, you know, 150 million people on the other side of the aisle who are throwing uh, spit wads at us right? and who want guns to be unregulated and who want abortion to be illegal and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they are the, uh, they're the other side of the, of the aisle, but really they benefit from liberal ideas too. And the degree to which they acknowledge that or don't is just a failure of, of language or, you know, it's a failure of, of comprehension more than anything. Um, but at some point the people with privilege, who are, for all intents and purposes, every American listening to this podcast, regardless of race or gender. You have electricity in a computer. We, uh, yeah, and you are smart enough to be listening to the phony, uh, phony award winning podcast, podcast from Roderick on the Line. Roderick on the Line. Yeah. Right? You are the intellectual uh, 10%. We are. You're the reason we do it. You, you know what? It's all for you and Just for the kids. For the kids. But to, to, to accept that mantle. And to say, I am part of the leading, well, I'm part of the leadership. 
And I have a responsibility not to think of myself constantly as a victim and constantly under siege. I have a responsibility to be the adult in the room hmm. and to say, here are our ideas and why they make sense. Here's the larger world we're trying to, co to construct. It's a world where fairness does predominate. It's a world where a rising tide does lift all boats. And it's some version of, you know, socialistic, capitalistic, democratic, you know, a, a, like a, like secular, whatever this, this cloud of ideas that we all sort of bathe in and pick and choose grapes from to, to, to create a worldview that we can proudly hold up and say, you know, I do have privilege. It is the privilege of being a person in this culture who is responsible for, for this world that hmm. we're trying to make. Yeah. And that, that shouldering of the burden and refusal to think of yourself as, um, as someone who is, who's constantly in a posture of defense is also a, a, a leap, like an, a, like a intellectual and spiritual leap. And it isn't to say, you don't say the word privilege with, with a tone of apology. You say, I'm privileged to be able to say the following things, right? I'm privileged to be able to come to you today and describe the world I imagine and the world we collectively are trying to imagine. And I, I feel like over time, the way to, to, to have this experiment not devolve into what it is, you know, what we're all afraid it's doing right now, which is just this like two nations scenario where in order to get from Seattle to Minneapolis, you're going to have to fly over hostile territory <laughs> or have a passport, right? To go, to go across red state land. Um, we're going into cloak mode, <laughs> you know, and like Minneapolis and, and, uh, and Chicago are kind of up there in this weird, like Lake, Lake town, Lake town country that goes up to Ontario. Um, in order to in order to not have that happen we we just and we're the ones that have to do it we have to make a better case and we have to articulate a case that isn't from our own our own state of victimization but a case that is encompassing that says listen you guys we're not trying to be humorless uh drudges here we're not trying to force you to all be gay that right. would suck. We don't want you to be gay. We no, really don't want you to be gay. We just want the gay ones of you to be happy. That's right. different, right? Come on, and you know and they're going to be very like, interested ah, in this. Like, I'm interested in this idea though of the the taking the, taking leadership, just kind of grabbing it. Um, you know, being the one who's going to well, you know, let let it begin with me. I'm going to run this meeting. Yeah, it's a very it's a very interesting idea. You know, acknowledging that you already have it, that you're already kind of running the meeting. That's, I mean, that's uh, strangely existential. I like it. I got it. I, I was, I, 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 I tweeted, I, uh, 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 an ex of mine is, um, uh, the gal that's spearheading the shout your abortion movement. Oh, and I retweeted one of her tweets and I got a reply on Facebook from a guy that I went to college with. And I went to a Catholic college for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. 
And this friend of mine is a big, big, burly kind of, you know, Irish Catholic guy, taller than me, bigger than me, like a big Jiminy. I know. Right. Well, that's his name. Jiminy. Mm hmm. Jiminy o O'Shaughnessy. <laughs> and he has, I shit you not, eight kids. Oh, God. He has eight kids. I need a nap. And he has eight little darling kids ranging in age from probably <laughs> 24. To from, from zero to 11. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a, he's a wonderful guy, a hilarious guy. Uh, he comments on my Facebook page all the time. He's a liberal guy. Mm -hmm. He's a funny guy, but he is anti-abortion. Mm -hmm. And he's anti-abortion because every life is sacred. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, that is a worldview, right? It's Catholics, Catholics got their reasons. I mean, it's an encompassing worldview. And it begins at, a, at an initial premise, which is every life is sacred. And that sacredness comes from, it's from the fact that there is a soul. So we're, we, are, we are essentially stewards of those lives. Right. Mm -hmm. And from their perspective, like, like just as we, just as we look back at our founding fathers and go, how could they possibly have had slaves and simultaneously been writing these, you know, these like florid and beautiful documents. <laughs> it's almost the like they're from a different time. It's like they're from a different time that had different values. Mm, so weird. the Catholics are, are, there's a large proportion of the philosophical Catholics who, who imagine some future day when people will look back in time and say, how could we have sat, I, how could our forefathers have sat idly by during this genocide of souls? But also at the same time, if I may, compare the amount of volunteer time five of your, any five of your friends have spent versus an average sampling of five people from your local parish. People who are like tremendously involved in good causes mm -hmm. and like trying to be stewards of Trying to trying to fit a certain New Testament idea of good works, right, right. Well, and 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 again, I say about, I'm just saying they're not baddies up in a in a, up in a tower with some sandwiches and toilet paper, taking shots of people. You know, no, they're not baddies. You know, they're and and I and I and this guy is just one of thousands of people I know on that side of the fence. You know, uh, who and some of them are really really philosophical. But it begins at this initial premise, mm -hmm. and so he wrote on my Facebook page. You know, can I please ask you? to take this post down in respect of the millions of souls that are, you know, that are, and, and, and he used some inflammatory language at that point, you know, a few, a few adjectives. But, like, but equivalent to you putting up a picture of Auschwitz on a Ellie Wiesel page. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. come on, dude, that, that's not cool. But he's, he's a friend of mine. He respects me. He follows me. He is, you know, he's, what one of what I would consider to be my or he's an in my orbit and this and I and I I got into his sandbox right and he's a supporter of mm. Obama and Hillary but this is his mm -hmm. yeah uh, you know his little like core issue at the at the center of his world at the center of his vision of the world and and I wrote him back very or I I, I didn't write him back because. We're living in this shit world where all I did was comment on his call. That's what I did. Lol. I didn't write him back on fucking scented paper like I should have. Lol. I said I gave him all three lols. No, I didn't. That's, it's like the Holy Trinity. Yeah, all three lols. The Father, the Son, and the Holy. Dominy, dominy, dominy. Fave. But I wrote him back and said, "Listen, you know, uh, like in all honesty." 
we have a different different foundational idea of the value of of human life and i do not share your view that every life is sacred and so or that the sacredness of that life trumps this other uh right well, that, sure, I can, that but, i consider pretty important but within that like you have to acknowledge you have to just if you if you're going to if you're going to get into that and wade into it you have to just say like I, because if you say that, like, there is a small amount of sacredness to a life and it doesn't, <laughs> and it's not equivalent to the right to. There's a spectrum of sacredness. Yeah. Make your own choice. <laughs> like, there's not really. It's like, you have to say, yeah. you have to admit to yourself. Sa- sacred, sacred, you're, you're pulling the sacred card. Yeah, when you right. say it's sacred, like that's, that's taking it from like, mm, don't curse on Sunday. Don't masturbate after nine 11. This is more like no sacred. That's a, that's a different kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's equivalent to like, why do we, why if we kill uh, somebody when they're one month old, is it murder? And when the, when they're eight months old in the womb, it's not murder. We have in, we have within us, we have made within our laws and within our minds some, uh, 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 honestly, some pretty arbitrary decision about what almost everything is. is. There are many spectra in life, and there are yeah. hard decisions to make about spectra. But if you act like there's not a spectrum, not sure your science is going to hold up so well. Well, and so, but there, so there is a spectrum, right? And and a lot of that is is legal, and a lot of it is moral. <laughs> And Depending it, on your point of view, almost every decision anyone has ever made is arbitrary. They, well, they, certainly they are because in a natural state, we're just, I mean, we're just prey for tigers, right? But we're, you know, it, like if you think about if you think about humans in their natural state or whatever, I mean, that's where we're so far down the river from that. But yeah, we're, our decisions are predicated on prior decisions and the whole idea of sacredness is predicated on um on on monotheism which is evolved from the well, that there that there is a, there is a god whose will is knowable and that it's our responsibility as the stewards of that truth to make sure that that is enacted in every conceivable way on earth then yeah. but there's there's a lot of you're making a lot of lily pad leaps to get to well, that well and it's just like you know what is god he's a silverback gorilla who's jealous of uh, the smaller gorillas that's from uh, Descartes' first meditation <laughs> So, so I wrote him and I said, you know, we're just, this is, we're just foundationally going to be, we're, we're, we're never going to come to an accord on this because I don't share your view that human life is sacred. And, and the problem is that you, that, that, that people who, who have a belief that human life is sacred, they believe that all, uh, all laws and morals that that we live according to proceed from that initial premise. Why be good to each other? Mm-hmm. Cause human life is sacred. Why do we not kill and rape and thieve? Because life is sacred. You, you proceed from that initial idea. Oh, I get it. The chicken's involved, but the pig is committed. Mm, you know that, that saying? That, 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 that seemed like a, like a Garfield quote. You know that saying? No. Chicken, the chicken, uh, the hen yeah. goes to the pig and says, Hey, you know what? We should start a breakfast restaurant. And the pig says, no way. And the, the, the hen's like, why not? And then the pig says, well, you know, you're involved, but I'm committed. Yeah, that's right. You're involved, but I'm committed. And it's exactly right. So, so the harder case actually falls to the liberal in that situation to say, I do not 
be, I do not have a foundational belief that every life is sacred. And yet I believe in morality and law and those things stem from some cause, some case, some initial case that we have, we have yet to describe mm -hmm. like why in a, it, it if, if you take away the idea that life is sacred and that we, and that there's a monotheistic God, why be good to each other? And the liberal case is constantly to say, mm. no, we are making this argument from the rights of man that, that, that are, that are a priori, that these are self-evident rights. And, you know, and this is all, this all proceeds from, from Descartes and Locke and Jefferson and, Augustine or whatever, you know, like, like it's a, it is the theory, it's the philosophy of history and it's happened simultaneously with, you know, with the sort of theistic approach, which is that you cannot divorce these ideas from their, from the, 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 the source, the fountain, which is, um, which is a, a, a loving God. And so, so the and a, and a secret source where I mean, this is going to this is a, admittedly a stretch. Where let's say even if you were super into the idea of abortion as a thing, you wouldn't let yourself because of the sacred law that had been passed on to you. That right. basically to extend that kind of uh, I don't know um, jurisprudence of God that. If this is the law, it must be followed down the line every single way. Like, but I'm not going to pick and choose which of these things. No matter how strongly I may be personally for or against anything, the law is the law. Right. You can't pick and choose, and that's what gives the law authority mm -hmm. because it represents something that's real and not something that you just dreamt or something that you that you believe maybe today and not a year from now when you've read a different book. This is one of those uh, Shabbat elevators. It's a Shabbat elevator, <laughs> but like it was it, it, when, when they, when in the declaration of independence, Jefferson and, and, uh, Ben Franklin collaborating or whatever came up with this, like we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's an, ex that's a moment where they're kicking the ball down the field. You know, they are, they are saying we hold these truths to be self-evident. Well, that's nice. How do you hold these truths to be self-evident? Oh, I see. Show your show your work, sir. Exactly. Show your and, math. And what they what they were playing off of was the you know was the intellectual tradition of the as they saw it um, of their immediate forebears and of the of Thomas Mann and so forth. You know, obviously, I'm talking about John Locke here. You know, like um, not Thomas Mann, but but you know that they, they are they're playing off of this this deist sort of rights of man but deism was you know was a leap that that maintained the existence of a god so so here we are now 200 years later um oh my god 200 and almost 50 years later yeah moment. i know it was just do, do, do you remember the bicentennial quarters how you want to collect those I still have them i still have them <laughs> in any case yeah <laughs> Uh, we are still kicking that ball down the field from the liberal side, yeah. And we continue to do a poor job. We talked about this yesterday. We're 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 really into Hamilton in our house, and there's so many lines, so many great lines, and we we end up talking about. It. And she's like, "No, tell me." She's like, "My daughter's like, so tell me again, like which one is the one that had slaves?" And I was like, 
that was Jefferson. And the thing is, as much as I love the Alexander Hamilton musical, I'm, I think I'm more on kind of Jefferson's side on a lot of issues. But with that said, yeah, the guy who wrote that, yeah, he totally had slaves. Well, had slaves and had sex with his slaves. I mean, they all had, I mean, Hamilton didn't have slaves because he was poor. That's right. But, How does a uh, bastard, orphan, son of a whore, <laughs> and a Scotsman? Or and, as, as, know, as Angelica Schuyler said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And when I'm Thomas Jefferson, <gasps> I'm going to compel him to include women in the sequel. Yay. Uh, <laughs> I worked in some oh Hamilton God, through the side the door. So we got Thomas Mann. We got deists. We got uh, abortion Facebook. Yeah, abortion Facebook. I don't know how we're getting out of this I, one. I, if you have comments on this episode, please send them to Roderick on the line at example.com. <laughs> one of our operators will be standing by. This episode will never air. <laughs> I really, really, really want I, I really want the I want those of us that share this world, this liberal world, to do more self examination. Join the club, Johnny. I know, man. I, I, you know, and like, and the thing is, there's so much I am not going to fucking talk about on this podcast because mm. I, but I'll mm. give you, here's the thought technology. Mm. Think, mm. think about this one. I'm not saying I have a feeling about this, but I'm just going to toss this out. I happen to be very much on, I'm very simpatico with the people who say, you know what? Could we please stop killing the black people? Mm. I, I think we need to stop killing the black people. Mm. I agree. I think we should stop killing the black people. I know that's that's, that's a, that's that's a strong stance. It's, I know it's a it's a bold bold stance on my very brave bold stance. When I say I stand before you today, today, is there a chance we could stop killing the black people? Now, here's the thing. Uh, follow me on this, and 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 don't don't kill me. Uh, the leap from let's stop killing the black people to guns are to blame for this is a leap that is not even a leap for for most of my friends. And personally, I, I I'd like to see fewer of the guns too. Right, but then the leap from let's stop killing black people to maybe not so many guns. You are actually at this point strangely close to saying to a lot of people in America, "You're responsible for black people being killed, whether you realize it or not." When you say that, and again, I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm just here to say that I'm telling you. If you go and read what people on the other side here, when people say that, something I happen to agree with, what they are going to hear is like, not only are you trying to take our guns away, but you're essentially accusing me of murder. Because I I have a gun. That's what it sounds like to those people. I'm not going to tell you that's right, wrong, or otherwise. I just want you to think about it. I well, want, and the, the, harder, the harder even thing to get your head around is that even if you take the guns out of the equation and you just say, listen, the cops, the white cops in the South do not see blacks as full humans. The, the evidence that we see is all I can almost guarantee you is just – barely even the tip of an iceberg for a much deeper cultural disconnect about how these folks get treated. And what, what, what ends up happening is that the left takes on a very lecturing tone. Oh, you know right? about I mean, Brexit, John? You know, a lot of people became Brexit uh, experts, Brexperts. Dude, I'm a Brexpert. I got to be a Brexpert really fast. I know. I'll it took me almost eight hours. You want to you wanna, you wanna read some of my tweets? They're top shelf Tweets. You sound like Donald Trump. My my <laughs> tweets on this is going to be huge. People are going to love it. My tweets are the best. <laughs> but, but yeah, We're making you, friends on the internet today. The, the left, the left has this culture, right, where we take we take in this we Here's take the in thing this American women. stuff, and we say uh, we say very briefly something about our own privilege. To indicate that we are on the on the good side, we're on the right side. We 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 write ourselves a hall pass. Yeah, we say 
you know, as someone, you know, as a white ally, or we say some, we say, say something that mitigates our, our, our experience just enough that we absolve ourselves of complicity. And then we immediately adopt a hectoring, lecturing tone toward everyone else that we presume are less enlightened. Than right. Didn't you go back and read my timeline and what I had to say about this? I can't believe we're still talking about this. Right. Right. But in the meantime, largely living in white enclaves, largely benefiting from systems that are you know, more or less uh, like systematized uh, segregation. And there isn't enough real reckoning. And it doesn't have to it doesn't have to take this form of like prostration. It doesn't really involve even like being apologetic, fake or otherwise. It's like a real acknowledgement of and 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 you know, and hopefully an acknowledgement of your of your power without shame exactly. You know, like shame does not It's not empowering. It isn't empowering for anybody and it doesn't accomplish anything except to make you and to feel, continue making it all about you. Yeah, exactly. And so to acknowledge your privilege and your power and then try to find a – but to acknowledge it in some ways even with pride and say, how can I now use this privilege and power? And that's – I mean the, the people who are – who resist the um, Black Lives Matter narrative – that's, not, that's not, a terrific. That's a terrific example. You know, it's not just that that they feel like they're they feel like their guns are. I mean, they're, they're, that's that's way down the line. They're afraid that we're saying the cops are. Um, you know, well, just the, the, like the it depends on how, are, it depends on how you choose to finish that statement. That doesn't really need to be finished. Black lives matter, and to a lot of people who hear that. I don't happen to agree, but to them that statement is all, black lives matter to the exclusion of other people. Right. Black lives matter more or mm -hmm. black lives. The, the fact that black lives matter is going to is going to um, translate into more entitlements for them mm -hmm. uh, that are not afforded to me. And I'm also poor. So what you know, where's right. my right. And I, so I how to. How to get out of this reflexive state of liberal apology um, where every where every statement is preceded with a caveat that um, that you you know that uh, you acknowledge your um, you acknowledge that your voice isn't the voice that's needed here or whatever you know to to proceed from that into a place where we are where we're actively trying to make a case. And actively trying to be articulate about it. And that begins with us acknowledging what our case is. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how, I mean, I've spent my entire life trying to figure out what those words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, mean. I mean, I really have. My whole adult life, I have turned those words over in my head because they are. Because it's, it's Jefferson's way of going, uh, duh. Right. Well, I mean, like, no, I'm sorry, I'm being glib, but it's a way of saying self-evident is all, is all the, in that case, that's that is his supernal sanction is that there's nothing even even beyond God and law. This is self-evident that this is the age of age of enlightenment. This is something that we can look at and, and go this equals equals this like this is truth. Well, and the, the thing is that my uh, that the founders were really at odds with one another about this. Mm -hmm. And. Jeff and my understand my understanding of it um, is 
that Jefferson actually, his first draft, actually used a lot more sort of quasi-religious language. <clears throat> um, and it was, it was Ben Franklin who sort of made the suggestion of the term self-evident because, you know, Jefferson was maybe more of a, more of a deist and, and initially said, we hold these truths to be sacred. And Franklin was the one that said that implies too much that introduces too much God and let's, let's change it. And so that collaboration between them, Jefferson, the sort of scientific New Englander, uh, I'm sorry, Franklin, the scientific New Englander versus Jefferson, the sort of scientific Southern philosopher, you know, I mean, just the, just those two, the push and pull between, between those two, you know, intellects. But it's, it's such a kick the can down the road moment. Like self, I mean, if you, if he had said sacred, we hold these truths to be sacred, we would be in a I think we'd be a different country. Hmm. And I think we'd be arguing it from a different place because we would be people that share my worldview would be at a disadvantage right now. We would be saying like, but it, ah, you know, like if it isn't sacred, then what is it? Then the whole, then the, the whole edifice starts to crumble. And Franklin just got this little, he just planted this pole there with self-evident, undefined. And it's given us this, it's given us 250 years to debate it. And here we are still. <sighs> mm. I'll put it out. Don't worry. Oh, I wouldn't. Why would we, Why would you not? Of course I would. Are you going to end it there with the lip smacking? All feedback goes to Roderick on the line at example.com. That's Roderick on the line at example.com. And whatever you do, people, get out there and vote. <laughs> Ding. Holy shit. Oh, my goodness. Oh. <laughs> that was good. <laughs>